right, hello, and welcome everyone to the Sage Advice Podcast. I am your host, Sin Sage, and I have my amazing friend as a guest today, Summer Hart. How are you doing today, Summer? Hey, I'm great. How are you? Pretty freaking awesome. So I love to have my guests sort of introduce themselves. So please tell us all what uh, what you do and who you are and that kind of thing. Okay. Um, well, I'm Summer Hart and I am a I mean, I guess I'm a porn star and um, I'm a producer. Um, I make VR porn and I make regular porn and I've been doing that for a really long time. So I make my own productions, really similar to Usain. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, and a cam girl. Before that, I was a burlesque dancer. I also do mutual aid and harm reduction. Um, mostly stuff like that, yeah. Yeah, so I, I wrote in my little notes here, I definitely want to talk about the mutual aid thing, if we can get into that. <laughs> so I love that uh, suede is a thing, sex worker mutual aid. And I first found out about it when I was hanging out with you living in Vegas. And I guess maybe at first I thought, oh, this is just like a thing for like Vegas or Nevada or like Vegas and LA type performers. But then find out it's literally nationwide. And you're pretty much the uh, head of this organization. Is that right? We don't have any like formal titles or anything, but uh, we... We work together and, and yeah, I'm, I'm one of the founders for Suede. Um, and we give out harm reduction supplies, Narcan, fentanyl test strips, internal condoms, regular condoms, uh, Plan B. We give it all around the entire country and we give out mutual aid grants all around the entire country. Yeah. So I think uh, not everyone might be as versed with this sort of concept of mutual aid and you know, sort of anti-capitalism and (laughs) all this stuff that we're, we're definitely tied into. Can you explain what mutual aid is all about and sort of how you started with suede and sort of how that came about? Yeah. So, um, I have some friends, uh, Cody Boer is one of the friends, Tegan Trucks, um, Xander Corvus is another one of the friends, Queen Eva is another, another person, Sophie Lauder is another person that helped with this. And um, we were all just kind of talking about maybe some of the things that um, could be done in the pandemic. There was, you know, some people who had been talking about like what was mutually, what who, what could you do for your neighbor? Like, was that like a, a ride to the grocery store? Was that like pooling money together for people that really needed it? Was that like meals that you could give? Um, and so we started, this was sort of born out of the pandemic. Absolutely. Yeah. So this is like the end of 2020. Tons of people that we knew, like, um, you know, all of us had like, I don't know, our dancer friends, like no more strip clubs, yes. right? Yes. Our brothel worker friends, no job and no, no, no knowing when they were going to return to a job. Um, if you were working on porn sets, like basically you're, you, you know, no idea like how safe that was or if that was safe or, you know, when exactly big mainstream sets would return. People who were doing indie productions are kind of working with as like many precautions as they possibly could. Really dangerous time to be a full service sex worker. Like, everyone was just kind of going like, well, there's no guidelines. There's no safety for us. There's no like work with a mask kind of thing that's possible for us. And so we're kind of just out here flying by the seat of our pants, like trying to be a community, trying to help each other. I saw tons of people online trying to like, you know, do best practices. I saw doms, you know, trying to talk to other doms about how to run a safe setup, right? Like I watched people doing mutual aid. 
um, in the best ways that they knew how to do. And we started looking at like, what are broader structures for mutual aid? And we started looking into, because there are these things that are published online if people are interested in them, kind of available to like, how do you structure and run mutual aid? And we started looking at what other groups were doing. Um, and so we started saying, well, maybe we have a little bit of money. And I mean, we meant a little bit <laughs> um, that we could give to people that applied. And then we started saying, well, you know, what do sex workers really need? Like what would be the most helpful thing to, to most people who are in this industry? And a lot of times it was um, harm reduction supplies. People don't realize that the intersection of a lot of the reason that people do sex workers, start to do sex worker involved in sex work is that there is poverty, right? Um, not everybody who does sex work does it because they're in poverty or, or because of that, but there's this big intersection. A lot of people yeah. who are involved in sex work are involved in sex work because they're marginalized, they're disabled, they're people of color, they're trans, they have a difficult time finding regular work for whatever reason, they need more flexible jobs. And yep. so there's a big intersection of people in that area who are less privileged and who also need things like harm reduction supplies to do their job well and like who may not be the kind of person who necessarily can access, for instance, like it'll sound crazy, but like a female condom is, you know, one of them is like $3. And like, it might be the difference between you working safely and not working safely, right? Mm -hmm. So like, our main goal is to make sure that people have access to those kind of supplies that like, everybody who's already probably working in this job, because they're a marginalized individual, because they don't have a lot of choices, because they're disabled, etc, has the ability to have these kind of supplies or an extra 100 bucks for gas in their car or whatever it is they need, you know. Yeah, and I love that. And there was a period of time where I'm not sure if it's still happening as much as it as it used to, especially during the pandemic. But you were doing like fundraising, um, like Twitch streams and stuff, like playing video games as a group, and um, yeah. yeah. And then so it's like whatever you could fundraise, that money goes directly into the Suede account, and then people apply for micro grants mm-hmm. through the site and. We are still doing that exact thing and we still have actually, we're an affiliate now. Um, we aren't doing as many uh, game nights with like bigger groups uh, just because they were mm-hmm. a little bit hard to organize, but we yes. are still like, I actually did a stream on, I think it was Sunday. I was, I make mead and I was like, oh, I'm going to get online and I'll, I'll make a, a batch of mead. Um, so we actually did become a Twitch affiliate. We make a little bit of money um, doing that for and for the grants, but a hundred percent of the money that we make from Suede goes back to um, mutual aid grants. And that's, what's a little bit different about Suede is that we yeah. are a 501 C3 nonprofit, but we're not structured like that uh, in, in that a lot of 501 C3 nonprofits, some of them do a lot of really good stuff, but one of the big things about them is that they pay a lot of employees. They have bills yes. and overhead. And, and, and it's been a, a, one of the main goals of Suede to like, just basically have as little overhead as possible. Our biggest yeah. overhead is of course, like buying things like female condoms or mm-hmm. shipping things to, I don't know, New Jersey, right? Like, Yeah, that's, it's just so, uh, it's so like inspiring and uplifting, <laughs> just knowing that this is going on. And I think something that a lot of, as I will call them civilians out there in the world, think that, you know, they see us on their TV screens, computer screens, phone screens, whatever it is where they watch us, but they get this impression that 
due to the fact that they see us on their screens, well, we must all be making tons of money. Mm-hmm. And that is just really far from the truth. I think it's just like every other kind of business. You could have people who are making like barely minimum wage, and then you have people who are hoarding their wealth on the top um, and, and everything in between. So something like this, and especially like you were talking about during the pandemic, it was just seeing so much of people really struggling of sex workers, people in our community really struggling and, you know, going on, uh, Twitter and just asking for donations and things like this. And I would see someone now just be like, here, have $20 here, have $30. Cause they're like, I'm about to be kicked out. I just need a bag of groceries to like feed my kid or whatever. And to take that and just turn it into something like a ground roots, a, a, um, from the ground up grassroots mm-hmm. organization that the goal is to help sex workers at least enough to pull them up to where they can stand yeah. on their feet. And I think that's just such important work and uh, also the fact that you guys, it's, it's really just like a, a volunteer, mm-hmm. you know, what you can do with the time that you have sort of thing, right? Yeah, yeah, we're 100% volunteer run. Um, but the cool thing for me about Suede is that like the people that are running it are running it because they're passionate about it and they care about it. And like, exactly. I think you keep doing something if it feels rewarding. Like I've been a part of other orgs mm-hmm. where I was like, I'm not sure if I'm making a difference. I don't really know if anyone cares about this. But like people, I think, keep coming back and doing it because it's like, oh, well, this actually meant something or like this is I'm actually a part of this community and I can feel that, you know. Yeah. uh, Whenever I'm able to get involved in those types of ways, it's 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 extremely fulfilling. Mm -hmm. And to know that you're helping people in your community, I think just like finding your own community and and lots of us have several different ones. Right. (laughs) And being yeah. able to work to lift lift up your community and, and all that. Well, it's also one of those things with like sex work, it can be really isolating. Like Exactly. It, it's one of those things that, you know, you can look at and say, like, oh, there's all of these problems in this community, right? That, you know, I, mm-hmm. I, I hear that a lot, like, oh, you know, there is a, a high suicide rate among performers, um, for instance. Yeah. There's um a higher than average maybe drug use rate um among performers. But like mm-hmm. the biggest problem for those two things is isolation, right? Yeah. I mean, it wouldn't really matter if we were talking about, you know, sex workers or like performer communities or whatever, like any community, I mean, we could say the same thing about like trans communities. And, and part of the big yes. problem is isolation, right? If we're, mm-hmm. if we're isolated from other people, if we feel alone, if we feel like no one cares about us, if we feel like, feel like oh, we constantly see ourselves attacked online and, and like people bullying us on me in social media, like, and we feel alone, we don't have anyone to talk about, talk to, we don't feel like anyone cares about us. Yeah. Of, of course, yeah. these are things that happen to people. Yeah. Yeah, that isolation, it works across the board in so many ways and just does cause so much harm. So I am hopeful that the more, I mean, it's just little ripples, right? That's the way I look at it. I'm trying to just send out little ripples and I know it might not be enough to change the whole ocean, but if it affects certain people in positive ways and helps them feel less alone, then it's worth it, you know? Yeah. I actually like, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, that's, <laughs> like that's to me, that's what life is about. Right. Like that's like the yeah. best, that's the best shit in, in life is, is just kind of like being with people that feel like your people and, and also 
maybe make your life worth living. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so I, I hope that was an adequately sexy conversation for the first part of this interview. <laughs> yeah, if you find mutual aid sexy, yes. I like it. <laughs> I think it's very sexy. Yeah, if we can't have you know resources to help people out, then the fact that we can do that for each other, it's powerful stuff. If more people understood it, I don't know, maybe things could change. We'll see. <laughs> We talk a lot about having hope for the uh, the younger generation here on this podcast and in my house. <laughs> yeah. So the other thing that made life a little different for sex workers during the pandemic, though, was OnlyFans. Mm-hmm. And and that that's important is having that online access so it was like we have only fans but then other people were discovering the clip stores how long have you had your clip stores long before the pandemic right yeah yeah and it's actually been interesting to see kind of in the last you know three years four years um like a lot of new people kind of come into this space um because i've been doing this maybe similar to you uh, about 10 years so I've, uh, I became a, a webcam model maybe 11 years ago and then, no, 12 years ago. God, I'm so old. It's 2023, huh? Um, anyway, <laughs> so, uh, 12, a million years ago, 12 years ago. It keeps I, going. I, it keeps going. Um, 12 years ago, I became a cam model and, you know, I, I realized that, gosh, this will sound so naive, but, you know, I was young. Um, I realized that other people were uploading my stuff which i had yes. no idea. <laughs> Even no just, idea. like they would like screen record your cam shows and then you're like wait how did they get this like right yeah i had no mm-hmm. clue that this was a thing i was also very internet naive i, I just want to say that i grew up really rural and completely isolated very much off the internet and um mm-hmm. i was very very poor i did not have my own laptop um until i was about 20 or 21 so i was really not i don't want to say like if I was using the internet, it was on the library Wi-Fi at school. So like I was mm-hmm. very off the internet, if that makes any sense, until I was literally in my, you know, twenties, like twenty probably. Um, I think mm-hmm. I got my first laptop at my house with Wi-Fi. So like mm-hmm. I, I was very removed from this. And then by the time I was twenty-one, right, I'm camming, <laughs> and so I, wow. I I I didn't have like a lot of knowledge of the things that people might be doing with like my image on the internet. I was quite nice. Right. Uh, that sounds mm-hmm. really silly, but like, um, I was shocked when, you know, right after I started camming, people started putting my image on the internet. And then I realized that like someone was profiting from this, right? Like that someone was making they money. They were. That. <laughs> right? Do you think they were selling it or they were posting it and then they're getting like the ad clicks and they're getting revenue from that? from so, stealing your content. At the time, it was Pornhub that was making money off of me, right? Uh, yes, of course. I, I do recall. <laughs> yeah. Pornhub, X videos, blah, blah, blah. They won't take your stuff down. Yeah. Yada, yada. But then there was yeah. also people selling like private recorded shows on like um, these forums where you could pay them money <sighs> for, those, for those shows and stuff. And wow. I thought, yeah. And I thought, that's crazy. But when I found that, I thought people would pay them money and they would also watch ads like YouTube. And that's really nuts. And so I couldn't get those down and and that kind of stuff. But people kept coming to me from places like Pornhub and to my webcam. And I was like, oh, that's crazy. I should sell that. Uh (laughs) So I just 
started like recording my own webcam shows, right? And then, you know, I would sell them through the sites or I would sell them, you know, from my Dropbox or like me, Firelinks or Google Drive or whatever I was hosting them from at the time, you know, kind of thing. And um, it kind of went off from there. But there's, there's a, you know, I didn't know all of anyone else at the time doing things like that in 2013 or something like that. Um, and now, you know, fast forward that 10 years later, you know, it's just a huge explosion of this. In some ways, it's really great, right? Because if you wanted to do porn, you know, there were some sites, some indie clip sites, this and that, and you could make a little bit of money, but like, there was no like fan sites and stuff like that. The studios really yeah. kind of controlled that and who was allowed to do porn. One cool yes. thing, yeah, one cool thing about that. Yeah, the gatekeeping. Yeah, one cool thing yeah. about that is that I have seen more different bodies and like yes, mm-hmm, different people, right? Like more trans people, mm-hmm. um, more trans mask, which is like not been common. More trans masculine people, more trans people in general, more yes. people of color, like more like bigger body types, like not yep. just like oh, like there's like a a slightly heavier like girl people are like she's a bbw but like a like an actual woman of size right yeah in in some of these productions like doing really well and like they're actually like and you look at all these people who are like you know never ever would have been on you know a mainstream porn site and you watch them doing like bonkers obviously like very popular yeah yes Mm -hmm. yes so the previous episode was um sydney screams and we were we were basically talking about that and it was something that i i didn't you know it was such a good conversation i I forgot to mention this but that is something about making taking control making our own productions is that we can make whatever we want Mm -hmm. and then the people find us yeah so and that was part of it is just like for example, I remember um, Adult Time made like a Shapes of Beauty. That was like one of the lines they were going to make. So they've got their transfixed. They've got, you know, their boy girl stuff, their girl girl stuff under different uh, banner titles. But they did Shape of Beauty. And I was like, oh, this is great. They're seeing the potential here, you know, for people that are uh, for performers that are bigger size. And I think it was like it lasted like a month or two and they just gave up like they just stopped it. And and it is that like gatekeepy thing. This is what Sydney was talking about, too, where it's like if you just give it a chance beyond a couple of weeks or whatever, or if you're not, you know, the people making these decisions sitting in fucking boardrooms somewhere that have never even met a fucking porn star, you know what I mean? And like just don't they just don't get it. They don't give it a chance to like thrive and survive. And what is so amazing about, you know, having all these places where we can make our own content and create our own, whatever the hell we want and make our own brand and make it whatever we want it to look like. It doesn't always have to fit in this neat, tidy little box of like, if you know, your website is this and can't be anything else. Instead, it's just a celebration of all the differences and the the ways of expressing sexuality and the, the bodies and the looks and the, attitudes and all that stuff because that's what people in my experience people Mm -hmm. people are into that they they want to see themselves represented and the type of sex that they have represented and and they're all out there complaining about how awful porn is and i'm just sitting over here like you're just not looking in the right places (laughs) i hear that all the time i hear people say like why don't people make porn like this and i'm like wait a second we are what are you talking about (laughs) 
And I'm like, okay, you know, I know what they mean, right? Which is like, if they like go to Pornhub, I guess, or actually although Pornhub, Pornhub's different than it ever used to be because of course Pornhub a few years ago got this like, you know, um, model program, which is a great thing. It's like the most ethical thing Pornhub could have done. And like, of course, now they're paying models for the program. And on top of paying models for the program, like we are able to like more like upload our own content, which means it's a lot more stuff that viewers want to see because it's stuff they've asked us for. Um, but like, right. it, so it's way better than, than it ever has been. But you know, it's, it's crazy because I do see the same stuff. I see people say this kind of stuff on Twitter. Like, why don't they make basically exactly what you're saying stuff that represents me stuff that i want to see you know one of the big things i really remember too was like going to um my god tumblr um way back in the day and tumblr was like you know a lot of it was like homemade stuff a lot of it was like even like magazines kind of like almost art i don't know a lot of it was like yeah just a collection of different shit one of my favorite um ones was called ambidextrously erotic and it was like literally anything it could have been any like yeah. anything could have been posted up there and it was one of the coolest things because you know one of the cool things about like indie content creators in general is that they really might make anything yeah. <laughs> like, and it, it reminds me of that in so many ways like it might genuinely you know for me i'll talk to somebody else who's like hey do you want to make a thing and i'll find something online and i'll be like man yeah we should make a, a thing and, and i'll i'll pretty much you know work with anybody who seems like a decent person. Yeah, totally. <laughs> so, but like, it could it could be that we make, I don't know, we could almost make anything. Yeah, we could make where like you come over with a couple buckets of fake cum and a turkey baster and we just like squirt it in each other and then have <laughs> sticky fake cum like all over the floor. <laughs> yeah, we could make something like that, yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh we can make a, we can make one where you put me in a bag and have sex with me while i'm in a bag yeah <laughs> yes yes of course that that was a custom video request so not from my own <laughs> filthy mind that was yeah cool. okay the other one was from my own filthy mind exactly yeah. <laughs> um but it's perfect we love it so uh, I wanted to ask you, so you said you got into camming when you were like 20, is when you started camming or that's just when you got your first laptop? Um, I was, yeah, I was about 21. I was, I was almost 22 21. when I started camming. Yeah. So I'm curious about what was the motivation for you to do that? Because the other thing I, I personally know about you is that you are very educated. Like you've been went to all the colleges, the schools, and you're like still doing it. You're kind of like, you have sort of like an education fetish. You just, you can't stop. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's true. I do. Cool. Well, I'll, I'll be honest with you. Like at the time, um, I was in school, but I was also like super broke. Um, so I, I don't come from a very privileged background economically. Um, I'm obviously privileged in many other ways. Like I'm, um, white and, uh, I'm generally like cisgendered and, and I'm privileged in a lot of ways, but like I, I have like a very pretty, amazing body. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I have, I, I have um, kind of a, you know, maybe, maybe I had a difficult upbringing and like, you know, some, some family home life stuff. And yeah. my, my two younger siblings um, at the time um, were in foster care. And then um, I was working to become their guardian and I became their guardian. You had to be, 21, you had to go through these classes for what's called like foster kinship and 
I was really struggling um, financially after that. Um, I had been bartending and working nights and I had to basically drop out of college um, because of that. Um, there was no way for me to like really do both. And um, because of, I also had just been kind of dropping out of college intermittently because even though I had come into college with a scholarship, um, you know, it paid for the tuition, but there were most, so many semesters, but I like couldn't buy my books and there was literally no one to help me. Like there was yeah. nobody in the world who was going to buy those books for me. And in yeah. fact, I couldn't even get student loans because I didn't have a co-signer for student loans. Um, um, and so like I was completely on my own and then I was just kind of very much struggling financially, even though I was getting like a little bit of money, um, to help care for them. It really wasn't right. like enough money. Um, and so I was, I was kind of struggling here and there. Um, I was dating, I was dating someone who at the time, um, showed me, um, he was like, look at these cam girls. He was like, you know, mm. you're really pretty and you're a bartender. You're really charismatic. You're used to talking to people. He said, mm -hmm. this is just like bartending, but you know, maybe, yeah, well, I was a bartender at a place where I wore a very, like, you know, short little dress and, like, a very uh -huh. low-cut low top. And everybody they hired was, like, a college-aged, like, cute girl. And yeah. um, I and he was like, you know, you'd probably be really good at this. I got on my very first day, and I think that I worked five or six hours that day, and I was having so much fun, and I made $800. And... In one day. Um, yes. And you your also, first day. The very first day. And, oh, my and, God, girl. Well, I didn't know how much money that was because, you know, it was tokens. But I, like, got offline, mm. sat there, and I was, like, really excited, and I was exhausted. And I, like, did the math, and I made $800. And mm -hmm. at that time, a good bartending shift, a good one, um, a weekend, where I worked my ass off, and I would come home with exhausted and my feet killing me, I would make 200 bucks. And wow. so I right, so I realized that I just made in a short period of time, a shorter period of time than I normally would work, four bartending shifts. Yeah. I was just like, what? Uh -huh. What? Mm -hmm. and so like I did it. I did it like the next day and the next day and the next day. And I actually was like having a good time with it. And um yeah. it's not like that for everyone. Like I I don't want to say yeah. like, you know, that that experience is gonna be your experience if you can, because like God knows mm -hmm. a lot of people hate camping. Um, and a lot of people. It's challenging. Yes. It's challenging work. <laughs> and, you know, the, I was really lucky to come in at a great time. Like the website was new. It had been around for less than a year. Um, there were not that many girls camming. Um, mm. I also think that I just have a big capacity for people and this kind of yeah. work. Um, I have a, I'm an out, outgoing kind of personality. I'm an extrovert. Um, and mm. I didn't get tired of it. A lot of people really, really get tired of it. And I totally understand why it's really similar to like stripping, but like virtual. Um, yeah. <laughs> and Where I feel like stripping is a little bit easier just because like you are sitting down with a human being and looking them in the face and having a conversation <laughs> and on cam, it can, it's such a, it's like uh, just the faceless text, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, it, it is a lot of energy. That's a lot of energy to do cam well. Um, but I, after about three months, uh, I quit my, my vanilla job because yeah. I, I was doing so much better, um, camming than anything I had ever done before. And I focused all my energy on that. Um, and actually I, I really cammed all the time. Um, 
you know, 15 to 20 hours a week or more for, wow. um, for like 10 years. So. Wow. Mm-hmm. And so do you still sometimes? I still sometimes. Um, I don't as much as I used to, but now I get on on the weekends. Yeah. Hmm. And what do you think has changed as far as being a cam model from the time you started, which sounds like it was maybe 2010, 11? It was 2011, yeah. 2011 uh, till now, because I know a lot of things have changed as far as camming. It's funny, but I still go on the same website. Um, <laughs> uh, for me, I just know that, like, you know, to do it really well, you go on and you put on a good show and you have high energy and you, you know, you – you interact with like all of the people and you just really, I don't know, you act like a cheerleader the whole time. Um, I don't know how to say it, but you have to have like high energy and a good attitude. And um, I sometimes don't find myself having the energy to, to do that as much as I, I used to. Um, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's the thing that probably holds me back whenever I get it in my head. Like, come on, you should just jump on there for a couple hours. It'll be good. Make a little extra money. And then I'm just like, oh, I'm such a tired (laughs) tired old lady. Yeah. I mean, if you, people don't realize this other thing, which I, I think people have this, this is a great thing that people think they think, okay, I will make some content and I'll make an OnlyFans, they say to themselves, and it'll make a lot of money. And I'm like, it will not. It will not. Because the biggest part of the job is not making the video. The biggest part of the job is is so much other shit. It's Uh the social media presence. And you don't Uh. just need a Twitter. You need an Instagram and a Reddit and a TikTok and a Telegram. And you need to be constantly present on all of them and a Red Gifts. And if you're not doing that, like you, I, God, when you're not editing that video or setting up collaborations or making Uh those videos, you need to be constantly promoting and putting your image in front of people constantly and like making previews of that video. And like, it's just like, it never, ever ends. Like whatever you're doing, you could never, ever be doing enough. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Yes. (laughs) And I will say though, that is the difference between like, when we talk about, you know, big umbrella of sex work and then you know, what we do, like we're creators, we're content creators. That's sort of like our main bag. And the difference between that and like with stripping when I was a stripper or even prior to Pornhub and stuff prior to me, because it was around 2013 that I started like taking customs and making my own videos and stuff. But prior to that, you know, I could just go to work and do the job and come home and fuck off all day. I would I would do puzzles. I would color and <laughs> coloring books. I mean, I would just like do things. And it's a big shift becoming a content creator because now it's, the reward is definitely better. Like I have a savings account, you know, <laughs> but, but it's so, so, so much more work. I mean, it's, this is what we, uh, many of us often tell people, it's more of like 24 seven job because even when you're sleeping, you're dreaming about, you're having stress dreams. Did I get back to that email? Like, did I edit that? Am I going to have enough clips to get me through this time period or, or whatever it might be? Yeah. You know, it's funny to mention the pandemic here because when the pandemic hit, I had actually shot so much content and had a backlog that I was like, yes. I don't know pandemic I mean they're saying a shutdown but I have four months where I could release once a week for the next four months yeah four months that would be fine yeah 
four months. Cut <laughs> <laughs> to you know, eight months later and we're still <laughs> fucking locking down and like barely like, okay, I'll work with you, but you have to have taken a PCR COVID test that week <laughs> and a and a rapid test the day before and the day of. <laughs> yeah. And there was like times where I had, I had tested for COVID three or four times a week, um, yeah. all at my own expense, of course. Um, yes. And then I would get to set and I would like rapid test on set. And then somehow there was a there was a particular week that I had gone to LA to work and I had tested twice that week in LA for COVID. I had tested before I came and I had rapid mm-hmm. tested once on set. And the day that I wrapped on set, I felt really sick and I came home the next day and I had COVID. Oh my God. <laughs> I know. Which is like impossible. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're just like, how, how could we have done better than that? I don't know. But yeah, the only way is you could have not done it, right? You yes, know? of course. But economically speaking, that's pretty tough. <laughs> right, infeasible, infeasible. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah that was the whole uh, that was the whole issue there. Right. But yeah, this, just to say that I think you know a, a very common misconception about doing the work that we do, and this is something I'll never forget. This tweet that I got, and it was probably like eight years ago at this point, but. <laughs> You know, I said something, I messaged something on a tweet, Twitter uh, thread, and whoever wrote me back was like, you basically, if you're a sex worker, they invalidate any opinion you might have just right, right off the bat for the base that you're a sex worker. But then they say, you literally chose the easiest job that you could have on this planet. And I was like, damn, you don't know anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like running your own business is a, it's a, job it's a tough job there's so many different things to think about and it is not just like i'm gonna just lay back turn my camera on and diddle myself and the money will come rolling in yeah and i that is the misconception of only fans i mean i've i'm on an only fans subreddit and i see it all the time <laughs> like i've been here for a month why am i not making thousands of dollars i have seen oh my gosh i i was with a, a group of women not that long ago and one of them was like basically i'm not making enough money at my job i'm just ready to just like get up on the pole and yeah. you know and i'm just like you should go try it i actually said that i was like you yeah. know what you go try it like mm-hmm. why not and she was just like well all these different things and i was just like mm-hmm. you think that that is such an easy job go mm-hmm. do it Yes. And then see. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, really go. And yeah. like, the thing is, is if like you are struggling with the job that you're in and you're having like a lot of trouble, you know, stripping or sex work is not going to be, you're not like successful in those jobs because of like some problem. You're not probably going to have a lot of an easier time doing sex work because it requires a high level of like executive function. I I mean, at the same time, I would tell you that there's a lot of people that come into this industry in part because they have disabilities and it offers flexible Mm -hmm. hours or they're a parent and they need, Mm -hmm. you know, they need the flexible time to be able to do this. And at the same time, it it's one of those jobs that's like this double-edged sword like oh i have a very hard time like being in a corporate space because i need flexible hours to say i don't know take care of my disabilities or go to doctor's appointments so i need to be off Uh and at the same time if you have some of those issues you will absolutely struggle over here too be whole world right um you'll absolutely struggle over here too because it's like you know nobody is going to make you get up in the morning and make that video market that video put the clips and images up 
put everybody's IDs up and like take all the paperwork meticulously that you need to file, get all the 2257s in a row, put yeah. everything on all of the different websites where you need to promote mm -hmm. it. Like nobody's going to do that for you. Yes. I often tell people the first thing that you said was like, nobody's going to make you get up in the morning. And I'm like, that's the struggle for me. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. I'm like, I realize that I'm my own boss and I, I appreciate the freedoms of that so, so, so much. Like that's what I value almost more than anything else about the job that I have. But then I also will sit here and lament, like, I need to hire someone to literally tell me what to do and when to do it. <laughs> like, I will pay you to just like call me and hold me accountable. Get up, now go directly into that shower, get your makeup on, and then you're going to do da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Because like, well, oh, people, I'll lose it at some point. Well, okay. I mean, as silly as that sounds, like, you know, oh, you know, no one's going to wear you, never going to shower. It's like, when you have to do every single aspect on your own and then you sit down and break down literally how many jobs that is. Yeah. Like I was sitting here thinking the other day, so I have this VR porn studio and actually you shop for it, right? Yeah. And I, I started to think about, okay, what is my job at that studio, right? Mm -hmm. Well, I'm the model recruiter and the model liaison because I, I hire models. And then I'm also the director. So I write the scenes and the scripts and I tell people what to do. Well, I'm also the photographer because I set up the cameras and I'm in charge of all of like the data and the cards. And I set the shots up for the scenes. Um, and then I'm also the person that does all of my, my partner, on the other hand, does most of the editing, although I do some of it. Um, mm -hmm. does all of that. We'll, we'll, we'll call him the editor. Yeah. Um, we'll call him the editor for the scenes. And then he usually also is a PA on the scenes, has almost everything that I, I need, carries equipment, sets up lights. He's probably also the lighting director um, for yep. the scenes. And then I'm also the person who does marketing for the scenes. Mm -hmm. I put together all of the tile art for the scenes. And um, like when I start thinking about it, I'm like, damn, you know, maybe the reason you're tired from doing this is because you did everything. You, know, yeah. you, know, like, you go to these big uh, productions, like, I don't know, you go to browsers and the guy that's right. The guy that's lighting you is not the guy that's editing the scene. He's not the person oh, that no. put together, that called you for the model liaison that got together your wardrobe and like set up the yeah. scene and wrote the script. And like, you know, you're like, yeah, maybe that's why I'm exhausted after doing one scene, you know? Yeah. But also, and that's why, you know, we have to market so hard because we are just doing it ourselves. It's like just us and then maybe a partner and that's it. Yeah. Whereas, and that's why, you know, that, although we might be successful in our various ways, um, you know, we are not making adult time money. We are not making no. browsers money. Like, and I know they have to distribute that to, their employees and stuff, but there's more than enough for everyone to have that. Yeah. Uh, and again, that just goes back to sort of what I started this all with, which is just that we don't, we're, we don't have as much wealth and privilege as like, I think some people think. No, it's kind of crazy because yeah, if you, if you uh, do porn, people think that you're, you're wealthy, which is weird. Yeah. It's a weird yeah. concept. And I mean, I think there was a time Right. Uh, where, where, yeah, the, the, the rates were super, I need to go back on sort of my porn history a little bit, but you know, they were released, they were being released in movie theaters yeah. way back in the day. And even when I think about the nineties, I know that the stripping money in the nineties, just because the people that I talked to who were doing it back then was out of control. It was stupid high. 
I mean, it was, you know, that people, girls, women were making like a couple thousand dollars a night. And then by the time I started stripping in 2002, like, I want to say, it was like, I mean, it was still great money, but, you know, I my average would go from like three to five to four hundred a night. Sometimes it'd be more. But and then I'd be talking to these girls who were still left over from the 90s. They're like, oh, man, you should have seen it pre 9-11. <laughs> <laughs> We were all wearing super high-waisted thongs and <laughs> <laughs> making tons of money. Uh, but, yeah, you know, things change, and we've all got to adapt, and we always do because that's that's being a sex worker. got to adapt. Yeah. Pretty good at that shit. Yeah. <laughs> so what was your earliest memory of stumbling across some – some sort of pornography or erotic entertainment? So again, I'm going to go with, I grew up in a really rural place. I did not have access to the internet. We did not have a computer at my house kind of a thing until I was like very, like until I was like 18 even. Um, so I'm going to go with, uh, it was a magazine, um, which will show how old I am maybe, but not honey, really. Honey, honey, the internet barely existed when I. When okay, I but it doesn't. It also doesn't really show how old I am because the internet was definitely a thing, and people were definitely on the internet. It's just I wasn't. Yeah. Anyway, it was a magazine, and also, um, it was lesbian content, and it was the very first porn I had ever seen. Yeah. And I knew you would appreciate that it was lesbian content. And I was like, yes. <laughs> um, yeah, it was. Yeah, it was lesbian content. Um, and I still remember also like exactly what it was. Um, yes. and one of the things like struck me was that the girls were both like blonde. And, um, I mean, this is probably, this is probably produced right in the early two thousands. So, mm-hmm. you know, gosh, I can even think about how their makeup looked and like, it wasn't good even right now. I can, <laughs> I can, I can, I can really think about it, but at the time it was, it was really, they were, they were cool. Not, not only did I think that they were hot, but I thought that they looked Mm -hmm. cool. Yeah. I thought that they looked hot. I thought that they looked cool. The magazine itself was also softcore. Um, so there was. So you didn't see explicit tongue on a clit type thing. No, there was like nothing super explicit about it. It was mostly kissing also. Um, and also like you know, mouths on booze kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. There was pictures of like a 69, but like with the legs up. Covering. Know, yeah. yeah. Covering <laughs> anything that would have been explicit. Do you remember the magazine? I don't remember the name of the magazine. Okay. Um, and I really want to feel like this was like Hustler, which would have been, you know, but I, I'm like, was Hustler not like an explicit magazine? But I don't know. Um, no, no, it was because one of the first magazines I owned myself, I yeah. think I must have just barely turned 18 and I bought one at like a newsstand because I was so excited that I could. And it was called, it was Hustler Girl Plus Girl. Uh-huh. And there was absolutely girl putting dildo into girl okay. pussy and like tongue on clit photo, you know? Okay. But I mean, it could have been more like a Playboy style. I know yeah, yeah. It was very like tame, but it didn't yeah. matter because at the time, I first of all had never seen anything like that. Um, yeah. And um, 
I feel like where I grew up and I, I did grow up in Texas. And so like mm-hmm. this, like, like lesbian is definitely like a dirty word. Um, yeah. I, I have an aunt who was gay and um, people used to talk about her by saying, um, well, because, you know, uh, Aunt Tanya is a <laughs> Like that was like, it was like whispered like, under her. Like, yeah. Like, like that was, yeah, like, like that was something she did wrong. <laughs> I would, and so, like, yeah. I knew that that, and, and just to like top this off, I had known that I was attracted to other girls since I was maybe like 11 or 12 years old, like around yeah. the time that attraction starts for anyone. Yep. Um, and so I, I had a crush on a girl who was my neighbor, who was maybe, two, I feel like she was like a couple of years older than me. She might've been as many as like three years older than me. I don't know now. Um, she was two grades ahead of me and she was really pretty and she was a really good athlete. And um, I remember telling my, <laughs> I always think about this. I always think about this. My Telling my best friend about this, like the only person that I felt like I could like tell in the world. And she told me yeah. that I, I didn't have a crush on her that I just admired her because she was a really good softball player. <laughs> wow, <laughs> like, that sentence. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think, you know, like I, I described her, right. Like, you know, I, I described her like, you know, the things I liked, right. Like, I, uh-huh. like any, you know, 12 year old one, like, mm-hmm. and, and she's pretty and she is, is so good at sports basically and mm-hmm. and my friend was like oh you just think she's you just admire her and then I feel like for the rest of my adolescence I felt like this thing that I've heard described by other bisexual and lesbian women do I like her or do I want to be her yeah <laughs> right but, but then, then you realize it could be both <laughs> yeah yeah it could be both <laughs> And um, I might have admired her because she was really good at like track and softball, but like I also thought she was hot, actually, for real. And wanted to kiss her. Right. I really did feel that <laughs> way. Um, even if my friend said that I just admired her for being a good softball player. <laughs> I still love that. <laughs> yeah. And so I don't know. Um, you know, it's funny, but like thinking back to that, because I had never seen any kind of erotica, I'd never read erotica, I'd never heard anything like that I knew for a fact that I liked that at that point right like yeah I was certain um actually and you know in some ways <laughs> I'll say it this way I think that's like part of the reason some of the people who want to keep like and gatekeep like sex ed uh, materials yeah. especially like the trans inclusive gay inclusive sex ed stuff I think that's why they want to keep this kind of stuff away from from teenagers and young people in part it's because like uh, that is a crystallizing moment right Mm -hmm. to like see those kinds of things and you're like oh well that wasn't just like a thing I thought I liked I definitely do actually that gives me a feeling yeah very much a feeling. So when you when you saw that erotica, I mean, did it gave you a feeling? I mean, did it it, it like turned you on sexually? Definitely. Yeah. yeah. I love that. Did you understand that I mean, did you have this revelation around 11 or whatever was it just like did, I don't know, I feel like there was a moment where I said to myself like, "Oh shit. I also like women." And and you know when it becomes like a secret, you know? Mm-hmm. Did you have that? 
Yeah. Well, there was like a moment in my life where I thought, again, it was about this neighbor that I was, <laughs> neighbor is also a strong word because I lived in a place where my closest neighbor was like half a mile away. Yes. Um, <laughs> like a neighbor um, where I had this a neighbor, <laughs> a person who lived like far away, but I, I lived near someone who I thought was like really pretty but I didn't just think she was like really pretty I thought she was like really pretty and like I felt the same like I wanted to be like her girlfriend kind of a way like I wish that she would like put her arm around me kind of a way or like I wish that she like wanted to kiss me kind of a thing and like yeah. I and when I would like think about her I felt like really like I, I don't know I, I felt what I assume is like romantic attraction. I, I'm still in my mind. I'm not sure what romantic attraction is. Um, like, right. I'm, like, I'm like, what is romance and friendship and love? And I, I don't know. Yeah. Um, it's still hard, but it's, it's <laughs> been sorting that my whole life. But, but yeah, basically I, I just remember thinking that. And then I remember thinking that that was really bad. Like that you were not mm. supposed to think that and that yeah. like I should stop doing it. And I mm. know that I, I know that I actively tried not to feel those things towards other women throughout my adolescence because, and you probably remember this too, Sin, but I remember there being like specific talk that lesbian and bisexual women were like predators or predatory in a similar way to how they talk about trans women now, or I hear trans women being talked about now. I think there's Mm -hmm. people that don't remember this or like they didn't experience it, or maybe they didn't experience it because they were not lesbian or trans or they were lesbian or bisexual. Or bi I mean, at the time, yeah. Y- yeah, or they weren't out about it or something. But, like, yeah. I, I mean, I wasn't out about it, but I was super mm-hmm. afraid. <laughs> I was super afraid that, like, people, if they knew that about me or they, they knew that I was bisexual, would think that I shouldn't be in, like, a girl's bathroom or something or that I was right. going hurt somebody or that I was, yeah. like, a creep or a predator. So, like, I, yeah. I, I would have never told anyone that because yeah. of things I heard people say. Right, right. So, so was that like basically you had to be that way at least publicly for until you left school? Oh like yeah, you couldn't come out. Like I know at home it was sort of a different situation. Oh, I would have never told my parents that either. Uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> like among friends and things like that, it was just you had to keep a tight lip on it. Yeah, no, I would have. I, I never for safety. Told- yeah, I, I don't think I though I told the one friend when I was eleven or twelve about it, who was like, That's not right. And I was Basically like, yeah. just invalidated you completely. <laughs> and I was like, Yeah, you're right, you're right. Yeah, and then <laughs> and then I never told anyone that ever again until God, right when I turned eighteen, I feel like I was just like actually I'm gay. Um, and like, which, which I'm, I, I'm not gay. Uh, I'm bisexual, but like I, at that moment, because that door was all of a sudden open to me, right? Like right. All, all of a sudden that fucking door was open to me. I was like, yeah, I am going to get a fake ID and I'm going to go to lesbian bars because there was a lesbian bar yes. and, yeah. <laughs> and I am going to have sex with, I don't know, any woman that will have sex with me. Um, <laughs> and, and I was like on, dating sites I, I had a friend who had actually been in school with me who um, had immediately also come out and had a girlfriend and I feel like I was obnoxious and like spent a lot of time around them being like what are you guys doing um yeah. <laughs> can, I- <laughs> um, can I watch <laughs> I need to see how this works <laughs> do you have other friends that are gay do you have gay friends 
friends. Yes. Um, but yeah, and and I don't know, then I, I don't want to say I, I didn't get that out of my system because I'm definitely still bisexual, but like, I don't know, for a minute because I had suppressed that for so long, I was just like, you know, I probably you know i was 18 or 19 and i probably really very impulsively had sex with like way too many women at some point yeah uh come on who's what's too many who's well <laughs> i don't know how many it was a lot like it was don't, it, don't, don't sex shame yourself you can okay yeah all the women <laughs> i should have had i should have had safer sex um i mean it, okay. it, it, it turned out fine it was totally fine yeah. nothing yeah. nothing even happened to me but that was probably not the most responsible decision i could have made <laughs> so well at least you were uh at least you were like safe from harm you know yeah yeah but I remember, like, I was in school, I was in college, and I met this girl who was, like, a ballerina. And, like, mm. I, like, yeah, she was so hot. And I had sex with her, like, that within, like, an hour of meeting her, right? <laughs> like, yay, college. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, within, like, an hour. She was wearing, like, a, a rainbow bracelet. And, like, within an hour of meeting her, I was in her apartment having sex with her. Yeah. And yeah, I was, like, yeah. yeah. And at the time, I was, like, fucking college rocks. And, like, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, as, and as someone in their thirties yeah. now, I'm like, that's really like on multiple levels, like so stupid and dangerous. I wouldn't do that now, um, but it, you know, at the time it was hot, right? Yeah, I mean, even if it's a little taboo, it's it's pretty hot to this. Yeah, day. yes, yeah. <laughs> it's almost like the stuff porns are made out of, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, those are great fantasies. I mean, yeah. and sometimes they're great realities, but you know. Also, you should be you should have safe sex, okay? Yeah, be safe. That's what I'm saying, podcast <laughs> listeners. Be safe, y'all out there. It's important. Well, wonderful. I think um, I've loved hearing your stories, and I hope my listeners have as well. And I think now we should take your your insights and experiences and answer a couple of questions from uh, some listeners. And as I am trying to get a lot more of those questions, since we are actually running low, I will reveal my cards. Just going to remind you now and then again at the end that you can email sinsagepodcast at gmail.com and we will answer your questions about sex, porn, relationships, love, stuff like that uh, on the podcast. So we've got a couple of good ones today. So this one is, have you ever faked an orgasm in your personal life? This is from C. And I just want to say right off the bat that I do not think that people, that that especially women, should be faking their orgasms because you are setting precedent and a standard uh, that is unrealistic moving forward, especially if you intend to be with someone for a while, or maybe you don't know that you're going to, and then you end up being with someone for a while. And now you're five years down the line and you're just faking your orgasms and you're being dishonest. <laughs> but yes, I have. <laughs> I'm trying to think about it um, because my gut says yes, because I wanted to be done. That's a thing. That's <laughs> um, a thing. Uh, but generally I agree with sin and I think that you shouldn't and I've tried not to um yeah. but I know that there's been times where I'm like 
gosh, I got to get out of here for whatever reason. Um, Mm -hmm. Maybe just because I don't want to keep doing this for whatever reason that is. Mm. Um, (laughs) There's lots of reasons why you might want to end an encounter. And uh, that that pops into my head. I can't think of any particular time that's happened, but my mind says yes because you wanted to leave. Yeah. But in porn, I will be absolutely honest with you. I have faked many, many, many orgasms. Oh, um, for sure. Oh, for sure. But sometimes I have real ones. Sometimes um, it's just of uh, you know, and some people don't, but. Um, Sometimes I sometimes I have real ones, and uh, the truth is, though, I think people would like me to overact them, even when I do have them. Um, often, yeah. sometimes sometimes I don't overact them, uh, and you just see a real one from me. But mostly, mostly they are enhanced. I would say. Yeah. I mean, I'm always having a good time, but uh, and that's what's important. Yeah, that's always- what I I say too. Like, I'm always having a good time. That it's a great job. I love it. Always fun. But I, it just sucks that, you know, cause I feel like the narrative needs to be more, Hey, orgasms are great. We should be invested in helping our partners achieve them, Yeah. but we shouldn't place all the pressure of a sexual uh, c- scenario happening on the, only the culmination must be orgasm because uh. That puts the pressure on, and then when the pressure's on, it makes it even more difficult. (laughs) But that in and of itself on its own, right, is like a very queer perspective, right? Like there there are people um, that I've had sex with in my my experience that like do not like their genitals touched. That's like orgasm for them is like just not a thing. Sometimes it has to do with gender dysphoria. Sometimes like Mm – I don't know. I've met like mask top lesbians that like mm-hmm. you, they do not receive oral. Like that's just not something they yeah, do. Wow. They, 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 they give, right. I mean, that's not common, yep. but it's not common, but like I've met people that have said that to me. And so I'm like, okay, you know, I mean, I have to say that I, there are often times where literally when I go into a scene, this being for work, not personal life, I, I prefer if you just like, can I do all the things to you? Yeah. And can you just not do things to me? <laughs> like, yeah. And it's those situations that I think about where it's like porn is entertainment. That's what it is. You know, when you watch an action movie, you're waiting for those guns to go off, right? Or whatever. Like, and if the guns don't ever go off, you're like, well, that was a disappointing move, action movie, you know? Yeah. Well, I also have to say, though, that, like, I wish people would realize just a little bit more that, like, porn is the action movie. And, like, yes. don't be mad. Yeah, the guns went off. But don't be mad if someone didn't really die. Like, right. <laughs> you know, that's, that's. Yes. Like, it's still a good movie, right? <laughs> yeah. Were you not entertained? Like, yeah. Were you not entertained? Fuck. Sometimes yeah. like, I, I also just want people to realize that like the stuff that they see in porn is 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 uh, largely acting um, and scenario acting. Um, sometimes people will ask me like, was XYZ real a crazy thing? And I'm just like, no, no. Like, Why would you? 
But that is yeah. something that I, that yeah, that I noticed too about when it comes to any other industry, when it comes to um, any other entertainment industry, plays or music or movies and TV especially, it's, it's just well, obviously that's an actor playing a role um, and they can sort of make the distinction between the fantasy of the movie they're watching and the reality of the right. life that we all live. And with porn, that line is uh, for some people really struggle or maybe they should be struggling to understand that there's a fantasy here and that's what you're watching and it is not reality. Well, I feel like it gets blamed a lot. Like I hear people. Absolutely. People say stuff like, well, porn is the reason why men are violent or do violent things or like blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, okay, so men watching porn, they can't somehow distinguish that that's a fantasy that they're watching, but somehow they can watch, I don't know, Mission Impossible and not jump out of a plane without a parachute. Like make that make sense to me because like, well, I mean, if, if you can watch the fast and the furious and not go and drift your car down the highway, then you can understand that like you're watching a video where the performers talked about consent before oh, yeah. and that's why it's okay to choke that performer. Yes, because they had that conversation about choking. Right. I love and, that uh, analogy of the Fast and the Furious. <laughs> well, I just feel like that's so, sorry, but that's fucking stupid. And okay. like to say like, oh, well, people, they don't know. They can't understand that. I'm like, God damn, but they can understand that it's not okay to Tokyo drift. Right. Like they 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 watched Pulp Fiction and mm-hmm. they never shot up a diner. I mean right. I don't know. Like if you can understand one, you can understand the other. Like I, I don't know. Like yeah, both they just, things they're pretend. Yeah, they're pretend. And I guess maybe the difference is sort of like, well, this isn't even that much of a difference. Like, I'm sure that they have, that the actors who do those roles are having a great time. They're, and, they're, and they're real to some extent, right? Like when I see a stunt in a movie, mm-hmm. like if I see, you know, I, I was just watching a movie where like a guy, he like gets knocked out of a semi truck and he rolls on the ground on the highway, right? Like that really happened. There really was like a a stunt double who did uh-huh. that, right? Who, who performed that stunt. A guy really did get knocked out of a semi-truck and rolled in the ground in a safe situation, right? There was yeah. a blocked off road. It was a stunt performer. He had padding. He had training. Yes. This is the same scenario for porn. If I yeah. go into a porn studio, like I, I've done a lot of BDSM porn. If I go into a porn studio and, you know, we're going to do, I don't know, a rope suspension, which is a stunt. I don't yeah. I didn't walk in that day and they just tied me up and we didn't talk about it. Like this right? was a, a massive negotiation that took place probably over several weeks, you know? Yeah. The, so in many ways it's exactly the same. And people think this part is real and I should be allowed to just do it randomly, I guess. Or people say that that's what people think. I don't know mm. if that's actually true. And mm. this other thing, somehow we understand a stunt actor did this. Right. Yeah, we we get the distinction somehow. Um, This is why I think teaching porn literacy, like even in high school, is probably a really good idea because it doesn't mean you have to sit there and show people porn. It means you have a conversation about what's real and what isn't. And you have a conversation about what entertainment is versus what the sex that you have with your partner. Yeah. 
Um, and the fact of the matter is it's there. It's just there. It's not going away. You can make all these stupid laws. You can try to, you know, people have VPNs. They know kids know how to use this and they're going to, if they want to see it, they're going to fucking see it. Well, the craziest thing about all of these kinds of laws, right, is like we could try to litigate the internet in the United States, but we could, but like I can tell you right now that I have pornography that is being hosted overseas behind Cloudflare in a Russian server that will never be legislated by any law in the United States or the UK or the European Union. And Mm -hmm. here's what it will do. And here's what all of these laws do. And I think this is really important to note. They might attempt which this, I can tell you some other reasons why this is very bad, but they might attempt to legislate um, behind a an ID wall, this kind of stuff. Um, you have to show an ID, right, to get on these, but only on servers that are already good actors, right? That mm-hmm. already are following ID laws, they use 28250 for performers, ID law for performers, um, yep. 28257 laws, they're already good actors, they're already behind paywalls, so you'd already even have to have like a credit card to access that, right? Yeah. So pretty, pretty much anybody is gonna be at least close to being adults anyway to, to get them to look at them. And only those sites will be affected. Anybody who's hosting illegal pornographic content and material, which is unregulated, right? Because they don't have a payment processor on it. So that could literally be anything. It could be revenge porn. It could literally be rape. Um, All the bad things. Could literally be, sorry to mention this, and I'm going to mention something that's got a trigger warning on it, child sexual abuse material, Mm -hmm. um, could be literal snuff porn, uh, horrendous shit. Um, Mm -hmm. None of that hosted somewhere else will ever be subject to any of these ID laws. And the biggest problem there is that it's completely unregulated, completely open, and you can never, ever regulate it. Now, everything that's stolen like that, any of that horrible abuse material, all of that CSAM imagery hosted on servers overseas, you cannot ID law or regulate that. Not in the United States, not in the European Union, not hosted legally or with under any kind of regulatory law. So like we have a lot of regulations. Some of them are really stupid, like no fisting, but we also have regulatory laws that make a lot of sense. Like, I don't know, no necrophilia um, or bestiality, right? Like those those are against our rules. But there are no rules on sites that already are hosting content illegally and all yeah. of that stuff will proliferate. Why? Yeah. Because people do not want to give sites like Pornhub their ID. And it's very, very different. People will say, oh, it's the same as showing your ID at the liquor store. No, it's not. And no. the reason it's different is because when I show my ID at the liquor store, some guy looks at it and sees that I was born after the year 2000 or after the year, before the year 2000 and says, hey, um, you know, this person's good. They can have a beer. And when I have to upload my ID to Pornhub, which I actually have my ID on Pornhub and it's a horrible risk to me, right? When I, if the average consumer has to upload their ID to say Pornhub, Pornhub now gets to hold my ID. This is a wealth of information for hackers. Mm -hmm. There have been, there have been people who have for years now, um, threatened and scammed people and people have killed themselves over this, right? Um, saying wow. that I know that you watched porn and I'm going to send it all to your family videos. If oh, you watch yes. porn. We get emails like this randomly all the time. Right. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> and these are scammers. Imagine, yeah. imagine if those scammers had this and it would be very easy to get. They do it to hospitals. They do it to government, government institutions all yeah. the time. Um, imagine if they had this list of people's IDs and we're going to, we're telling people that they need to give a list of I that, that Pornhub needs to yeah. hold a list of IDs. 
reviewing adult material and they need to be the ones that hold them? Absolutely fucking not. Nobody in their right mind would do that. And and, and I think the, the whole goal, and I know the whole goal because yes, I've, seen, know it. I've seen who's been pushing this and I look at who's been pushing this. I've been looking at this for a very long time is to kill the legal porn industry yes. where people earn money. Right, because yes. it will never take porn off the internet. In fact, it right. only proliferates and helps proliferate the illegal industry, and we will never take it off the internet. Never. Never. It only the only goal is to kill off people that make money off of it. And if you want to see exactly who's behind that, look at the people who took down Model Hub with their trafficking yeah. hub stuff. The yeah. only thing that did there's what did that do? Is there still Pornhub? Yeah, but it mm -hmm. took down Model Hub, where people made money, where More sex workers made money. Yep. yep. And to this freaking day, yep. it hasn't come back, even though nope. Pornhub has complied with all of the things that they, that MasterCard asked them to do. Everything's, everything's good there. Everything's what we asked them to do as, as models. Yep. All of that is fine now. And they still do not have Model Hub back. Right. So thank you for that lesson. I think people need to hear it. The other thing, and I'm, I am going to say it because it is a blatant fact. I read I didn't read the whole thing because I try not to make life more difficult for myself emotionally, but mm -hmm. I've seen segments from um, the Republican agenda for their project 2025 or whatever, and it is pornography will be illegal and pornographers will be imprisoned. Yeah. And I just want everyone to recognize because I saw somebody like a woman commented on this and was like, Hmm, this might be the only part of their agenda I can get behind. And I was like, I just want to be clear for a second. You think that I should be put in prison. And she's like, no, I don't want any women to be um, in prison or whatever it was. And I was just like, so you don't think that any women are pornographers? Like, is that, is that what you think? I am a pornographer. You are a pornographer. Like, yeah, what? There, are, there are like, I, I don't, I don't know like the statistics or anything, but I feel very strongly that like most of the people who are producing porn anymore in the year 2023 yes. are fucking women. So, yeah. <laughs> so you're, you know, you're sitting there, whoever's made this comment and I'm sure tons of other people are sitting out there <sighs> thinking it's only men who are <laughs> exploiting women for their bodies and blah, 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 all that stuff. And I'm just like, that is such an, antiquated way of looking at the industry it's not even like an antiquated way of looking at it it's just false it's, it's not okay. the truth anymore it's insanely false but it's also this exact um it's carceral feminism right yes so it's, it's this idea that like okay what the way that we should solve social ills that have to do with women and, and women utilizing their bodies in ways that i don't like is to put that them I in prison like. that i don't like yeah yeah it's to is to put them in prison that's how we solve yeah. that problem. We criminalize them. We put them in prison. And like it actually, the, the outcome of this is, is really obvious, right? More women in the prison system. And of course, in the United States, mm -hmm. uh, we incarcerate more women and more people in general than any other. I would say, right. Because I mean, look at how well the drug war has worked. Right. Yeah. And it, it's one of those things that like somehow feminism went from women should be allowed to be in control of their own bodies to, and I was a person who like, I studied 
women's, I, I have a minor in women's studies. Um, that, mm-hmm. that was actually my bachelor's. So I have a social work bachelor's and my minor is in women's studies. I was a really, I was a member of the Women and Gender Studies Student Association. I like campaigned on this. I have been arrested in multiple abortion rights protests. Like I am, awesome. uh, you know, I think probably uh, at the time, at some period of point in my life, I called myself a feminist, like really strongly. And I thought that at the time that that meant that I got to do what I wanted with my own body. And I thought that that meant that I also got to have sex the way that I wanted and that I got to display my body in a way that I wanted. And, um, it actually turns out that there's a huge number of people that believe that me utilizing my body in order to make money, um, or having sex in a way that I want, um, is actually anti-woman and anti-feminist, which I will never understand or be able to like wrap my head around. And, I can't get it either. Right. And not only that, but that I should be punished and that women like me and you should be punished yeah. um, criminally even for mm-hmm. this. And this is exactly when we talk about like full service sex work and mm-hmm. um, the ways in which we punish women for doing full service sex work. I mean, in the United States, I will not, you do not want to get me on this subject, but like in the United States, we punish tra- sex trafficking survivors. A lot of people don't realize this. this is something I, if I ever get the chance to talk about it, I just have to say it. Even, even minors, even minors in, uh, I think 16 states, Texas is one of the worst, um, yeah. but even minors, we take the minors to jail, even though they're not old enough to consent when they have been sex trafficked. And that is because we truly believe at our core that women who do sex work, especially full service sex work, deserve to be punished. And if you want to read about that or learn about that, look up safe harbor laws. Um, See if Mm -hmm. your state has a safe harbor law. It it might, um, it may not. Even states that do have quote unquote safe harbor laws, a lot of minors still go to jail and safe harbors laws only cover minors. So if you're an adult who gets sex trafficked into full service sex work, you will go to jail. You will have a criminal record for uh, prostitution, even if you were a victim saying you were forced into it. And a lot of people do not realize that that's the case. The truth is just like this person's commenting, right? She Mm -hmm. believes ultimately, like no matter why you were doing this or if you were doing it of your own accord or if you want to, that ultimately the end product is absolutely evil, horribly terrible, and you're a bad person. And that like truly you deserve to be in jail or prison for having sex the way you want and displaying sex. Yeah, it's really true. And especially when you're talking about that trafficking stuff, it's like these people are like, we've got to protect them. Let's make these laws and protect them. And like, let's shut down all these sites that, you know, that actually consensual sex workers use and need to stay safe. We've got to protect these people from the trafficking. And then they come to you and say, I am being trafficked. I do not consent to this. And they fucking throw you in jail. Correct. And then these companies that rake in, rake in millions, hundreds of millions of dollars of donations will be like, well, here's, here you go. Here's $300. Go, go and don't be a whore now. Oh, $300. That'd be great. Uh, you know, as far as I can tell, Exodus Cry, which is one of the largest anti-sex trafficking organizations in existence, gives people mm-hmm. a bag of cosmetics that's been donated by the people that volunteer for them. I, a bag of cosmetics? Yeah, yeah. And a Bible. Wow. Um, so, like, yeah. So it, it's one of those things that, like, if you look at, like, what resources do they provide? Like, what is their protocol if they find someone who's sex trafficked? If, if I were to call Exodus Cry and say, hey, I think I know someone who's being sex trafficked, they would say, call the cops. 
because that's, yeah, yeah. They, they don't run resource centers. They don't run shelters. They don't provide their own counseling. They don't have, I don't know, a, a grant fund for the, the people that have been sex trafficked, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. the thing that they have is they produce movies and, 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 yeah. and propaganda and media. Mm-hmm. This is just mm-hmm. so common because we really, really deep down don't actually care that the yeah. whole sex trafficking panic is manufactured because I am constantly feeling questions about porn is sex trafficking, porn is sex trafficking, oh, porn is sex trafficking. Time. And all I'm like, time. I have never met someone who was doing porn that was being trafficked in my life. I have been doing porn for 10 years. I've never mm-hmm. encountered someone. I've never heard about that. I have never nope. experienced someone who was being trafficked into doing porn. Never. Nope. And um, it's really weird because I have met hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people who yeah. are doing porn and I have never met a single person or heard about a single person where that's happening. And all of a sudden mm-hmm. we need, I don't know, we need to have no more fantasy dildos because sex trafficking. We need to do no more fisting because sex trafficking it, yeah, it, it, I don't know, but the fisting thing and somehow that's going to help trafficking victims but the one fucking thing <laughs> that we can't do to help trafficking victims is stop arresting them right can't do that that yeah, would be that. that would be i don't know too much help but the thing that we can do to help them is we can stop fisting each other right <laughs> I, I, I try i try really hard to see the connection mm-hmm. um but i i don't i i the, the the fisting thing too i'm just like it's so discriminatory because of the fact that like that's queer sex for a lot of right. people <laughs> right. you know and they're not allowed to show their queer sex like i had posted a picture of me fisting someone in the butt um a queer person um, on my OnlyFans like 2019 and they're doing all of this like going way back in time right. and pulling up old posts and stuff and they're like this is a violation and I was like okay it was like five years ago but whatever um, but yeah that's just they're like nope you can't have this literally just a picture my arm in a butthole and like <laughs> and it was just like what's the problem here like this is how this person has sex in fact this is how this person asked me to have sex with them right asked me to but that's that's the evil we need to make sure nobody sees yeah it, it's very confusing and, and it's one of those things that like it's under the umbrella of sex trafficking and it's something that organizations like exodus cry and ncose have like been you know lobbying uh, mastercard and visa to take down under the yeah, umbrella yeah. of sex trafficking for like this really long period of time them supporting sex trafficking and these are the things these are obscenities that need to be taken down because they support sex trafficking and and then they say these things um but no one weirdly weirdly no one from these organizations i have ever seen them work to um end the arrest or deportation deportation is also a very big problem um the arrest or deportation of people who are victims of sex trafficking, nor have I ever seen them get uh, shelters. Apparently there are hundreds of thousands or tens of thousands of people who are being sex trafficked according to them, but I've never seen them, I don't know, open a shelter for people who are victims of sex trafficking who would seem to need someplace to go once they've been, I don't know, raided by police. Mm -hmm. Um, But I've never seen any of them do any of that work. Um, yeah. There there are a couple of organizations like the National Survivors Network, which is actually mm-hmm. run by people who are sex industry and people who have survived trafficking. So yeah. they do that kind of work and they lobby yeah. for good bills, like not arresting right. people. But, you know, right. but they're not they don't have a lot of 
places and people that invite them to like go and speak because they're not saying right. something salacious and like yes you know they don't have the institutional support that that is needed essentially exactly and people don't want to hear from former sex workers who are not telling the story of sex work is so evil yeah. and terrible and I escaped it. Now I'm a good Christian woman. Like that's yeah. the story that like people want to hear. Right. Yeah. But the, but the truth of the matter is, is it's a fucking nuanced thing. You know, right. like many people might, you know, sometimes you talk in sex work about like the three C's coercion, cha- choice and circumstance. There's a lot of people who might move in between all three of them. And I've known people who, you know, I, I have a good friend who came into it by choice, got trafficked, coerced, and now mm-hmm. she chooses to do sex work. But like, she's mm-hmm. not a good whore. Does that make sense? Right? Yeah. Like, she she doesn't have the right story. You know, she yeah. she doesn't have the the story that people want to listen to. She doesn't have the story that you know she reformed after she got trafficked, and and so people don't like her story. She wrote a book, but people don't people don't like her story she's not a good whore yeah it's just it's really uh it's it's all over the place it's just so messed up um nobody really wants the truth they want the thing that makes them feel uh validated and justified (laughs) and to be honest i think in the case of like a lot of these um organizations that talk about sex trafficking and stuff it's like they want the thing that makes people clutch their pearls and like give them money yep the click the clicks you want the clickbait you know, the yeah. things that make, makes people click. Uh, so all of this to say, uh, please don't fake your orgasms. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it's great. It's it's awesome that like a question could stimulate further conversation and especially on things that I did want to talk about. <laughs> yeah. All right. But we do have one more question and then we got to be sort of wrapping this up a little bit. Um, okay. So the, this is a good one for people, you know, being an industry stars such as we are uh what is the average time in your opinion that adult film stars stay in the industry it's so interesting asking for an average time adult film stars stay people talk about like an average length and i just feel like it's really all over the place like i've been in for 20 years and i'm gonna be here for another like 10 or more time. I don't know. I've decided to make this my career. There's not really anything else I want to do. So as long as I can still make money doing it, I plan on doing it. Um, Other people come in and they stay in for as long as they can still get work. And sometimes that's six months or a year. And sometimes that's 15 years. I don't know. It's, It's really wildly all over the place. What do you think? I think that's a good question. Um, I think it kind of depends on what you mean by the industry and mm-hmm. like, you know, are we talking about sex work? Are we talking about porn? If we're yeah. talking, like, okay. I think the people that I see stay in the longest are the people that I think make their own content. Right. So, definitely. People, you know, I, I was talking to somebody the other day and, and he had kind of just started, he had kind of just started with this, he had actually done some modeling, right? Like he was really pretty. And um, it, it, it's a little, a little harder for guys, I think, um, especially, you know, trying to do mainstream porn. And he was definitely, talking, it's definitely harder for guys. Yeah. Right. And he was like, oh, you know, it's so hard to like quit my, my regular job to do this. And you kind of have to just be available, like, you know, maybe a day or two before to like take a shoot. And it's just so difficult. And 
I was saying like, well, you know, are you making your own stuff? Are you making your own content? He's like, I know I really have to get on that. And, you know, if, mm-hmm. if, if he does that, I think he'll have longevity in a career. He was, he was really attractive. He seemed like really um, polite and he was very gentle. Um, so mm-hmm. I was like, wow, this guy could have a great career. But if he doesn't, no, I don't think he'll last that long. Cause you know, it, there's yeah. just too much, um, there's too much ebb and flow. Um, but like, if you can find something that you can do regularly, right? Like if you can have an OnlyFans and a clip store mm-hmm. and, you know, a, a couple of other things that you're managing, like I know some girls um, dance and feature dance and um, mm-hmm. stuff like that, then, then yeah, then you can have longevity in a career and it can last you a really long time. I mean, like Sensei, Sin is not the only person that I've known that has had, okay, maybe Sin is the only person I know that's had like a 20 year career. Um, no, no, that's not true. That's not true. I've, I've known, I know, I can think of now that I say that, like at least three other people that have, that have yeah. worked, you know, that just I always hold up, I always hold up Nina Hartley as like, hey Matt, she had 30, 40. Yeah. Brittany Andrews, for instance. I mean, just mm-hmm. to think of another person that immediately pops into my mind, but like, you know, I also do know other people that, that's, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking of that. I, okay. They've been in the industry longer than me. I've been here 12 years. Like, you know, you can have longevity in, in this career for sure, but you have, yep. you have, you have to like, how do I say this? Like, this is my opinion, but you have to take your pennies from like, <laughs> all of the sources, you know, just gather them from all the places. It's yes. Because the one thing about this industry is that it's unstable enough. I remember making all my money on camming, and then I may remember making more money on one site, and then I remember making more money on another, and I watched that shift. And I yep. see that there are people that will be like, oh my God, I'm just not getting booked for enough shoots. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you have to have like a backup thing, you know? Yes. Yeah. That, And that's actually what and what you just said is what inspired me to make my own, to start making content, to start making custom content and then turn that into stores and all that was because there was like a month and I was, had no bookings and I was like, shit, how am I going to make money? I guess I'll make my own stuff. And then it's like you said, it's, it's not like I just have an OnlyFans. That would not be enough to sustain a life for me. I know for some performers they can do that, but not for me. So I have, you know, two other clip stores away. I started a loyal fans. I've got a little bit of ad revenue on Pornhub. I put put my videos that I make up on an adult time channel. I have, I make my own like feature productions that I sell through, distribute through Trouble Films and on my website. And so some of these things do better and some of these things do not that much, but the way that I make a living is that I'm taking from all of these little places and adding it all together. And that makes a sustainable life. So I, I agree with you so much that, you know, that was, and that, again, that was the big shift of my life too, going from just being a performer to creating your own content. It, it made a big difference as far as I will call it like long-term sustainability versus yeah. just gigs. And I mean, I still do the gigs, but I almost see the gig work now, not as much about making money, but as cultivating audience. And hopefully it's making them think, oh yeah, Sensage, I remember her. Let me go, let's Google it. Let's see if there's an OnlyFans or a website. And then maybe they come to me that way. And yes, that's the hope. (laughs) But, But that's the thing. I meet a lot of people who are like, I only do OnlyFans. And I'm like, Tomorrow, OnlyFans might kick you off. Tomorrow, yes. 
next week OnlyFans might decide that they're not doing adult content creators anymore and then you just are yep. unemployed or what yeah you just have nothing oh that, that's scary terrifying I couldn't live like that yeah <laughs> but then the other thing about it too is that you know I tell people that not just being in porn but sex work in general is something that you know I think people with a desire or curiosity or or even if it's just I need to take care of myself it's accessible yep that's what I want to say it's accessible for everyone regardless of how you look and what your body looks like and all this other shit. But it is not for everyone. It, it, there's just, there's just a lot. There's so many different aspects and, you know, whether it's you're the type of sex worker that deals one-on-one with clients and that can be burdensome sometimes, or whether you're like online, but you still have to, or you have to deal with all of this. Sometimes you're going to get hate or stalking or all these other things that happen. So and then on top of all that, also the judgment from the world, the legislation, the people coming after you, um, the people on Twitter who are like, oh, you know, all sex workers are trash, like, <laughs> you know, just stuff like that constantly. And so there's a certain constitution that you got to have if, if you can to, to sustain in this industry long term. And then you have to ask, is that even something you really want? I know plenty of people who, you know, they, they come in to porn, they have an exit plan, they work towards it, they make, they save, and then they get out. And honestly, good for, good for them. <laughs> you know, I think it's great, but it's just, you got to sort of know yourself and, you know, you figure it out that that's why I couldn't say, I, that's why I don't think that we could tell you that there's an average amount of time. It's, no. Just too individual. It's too subjective. Yeah. Yeah. But we're happy. We've been here yeah. a long time and we're still going to keep doing it. <laughs> yeah. And I do, I do all kinds of other stuff. Yeah. And, 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 you know, like during that time, I've like gotten a couple of degrees and I like could go and use those degrees. And sometimes I do. And sometimes I stop doing that and do this and, you know, vice versa, actually. So whatever, yeah. you know, you know, you, I love I, that. well, this, this, I mean, it does that. I don't know how to say this, but like, this makes me really happy. I think people think that like, oh, you must not have another choice to do this. And like, you're going to do this short term, but like, but what if doing this makes me happier than like the jobs I've gone to school for? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I uh, went to massage therapy school and I did love it. Yeah. Um, But then it was just, you know, I, I balanced the amount of, time and effort one thing takes for the return that it gives me versus this work. And I have more of a life to myself and I'm able to pay for it. Whereas I didn't get that with the massage therapy as much, as much as I loved it and going to school for it was such a a vital experience for my life that I wouldn't change for anything. But yeah, that's just kind of just the facts. We live under capitalism. You got to make it work. So here's the thing about that too. You'll always have that. It's not like exactly. I know how to do it. Period. And I'm sorry. And I I, and I do share with friends and stuff like that. And yeah, and it's great. Um, But just knowing that I've always got that as a thing makes me happy. Yeah, (laughs) it doesn't go anywhere. Like that's like that's the thing. Like if if I don't know if I like decide, man, I don't really want to be involved in this anymore. Then I'll I don't know. 
I part of what's been great for me about sex work is that like without it, I you talk about me, I love to go to school. Yeah, I really actually do love to go to school and I love to yeah. do I love to do education, but like the truth was I was never gonna finish my degree the way that I was going for it because I just didn't have the money to take anywhere close to like full-time classes. I was yeah. trying to like do it without my books. I didn't have like the ability to study. And the reason I, part of the reason I started doing sex work is because I just wanted to finish a degree. Yeah. And I think that's a lot of people's stories actually. Yeah. And then they're like, wait, this is actually pretty great. <laughs> yeah. But I also, but I also really enjoyed sex work. And, and you know what? Yeah. And I finished, I finished both of my degrees. I, I finished my, my bachelor's and my master's with no debt. And like, yeah. And and I don't regret doing sex work through it. And I don't regret doing sex work now. And I, mm-hmm. I, those degrees, I don't lose them. They don't run away when yeah. I, if, if I ever decide that I'm want to use them and the same, you know, for massage therapy, like that's always there for you. Yeah. And, you know, if, if this, if the powers that be of this country would recognize that providing education to people leads to more teachers and doctors and people that we need to make society function, engineers, things like this, when we have that as something that people can access, then you have a thriving society. Whereas Uh, if we gatekeep, or you can, you have the potential to, but when we gatekeep education by making this barrier of either hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt or just you can't have it, sorry, because no one can co-sign your loan or things of this nature, then you know, where are we going to get doctors and stuff like that? Uh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. If you let people do that, then there will be real class mobility, okay? And, yes, exactly. And that would be bad because we can have class mobility, but then we need to have people paying student loan debts for 40 years so that yeah. they don't have real class mobility. So like they can have like that good job and it's good paying, but then we need to like, you know, kind of prorate that a little bit yeah. with like a $700 a month student loan payment. Right. That way, that way they can feel what it's like to have the money in hand, but we like claw it back to make sure that they mm. don't really have class mobility because that yeah. would be a problem. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Then you'd have, we'd have like, um, fewer billionaires and like that's not really that would be you know, we need to be sending people um t- you know assholes to the moon and stuff that's important. right that's very important <laughs> okay yay wrap it up with with some of that some of that good old anti-cap and um, so love you so much summer miss you a ton we'll see you in january okay you're gonna come out in january absolutely oh cool Yes. So tell everyone where they can find all of the various things that you do and they can support you financially. Um, okay. So if you want to find me, I am Summer H-A-R-T-X-X-X on Twitter. Um, there is a Summer Heart Reddit. Um, if you want to find me on Reddit, uh, there's a whole subreddit for me and, and you can find me there. Uh, and uh if you want to find Suede, which we talked about, um, or support Suede, there is uh, Suede Vegas. We are Suede, S-W-A-I-D Vegas on Twitter. We also have an Instagram, which is S-W-A-I-D Collective. Um, we have Patreon and stuff like that. And 100% of anything you give us will go directly back off to someone else. 
Um, but uh, I just want to say thank you, uh, Sin, for having me on this podcast. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. I feel like this sounds just like something we would uh, sit and have dinner and talk about. So um, thank totally. you so much. <laughs> <laughs> totally was. And um, oh, absolutely my pleasure. Uh, you're just such a great voice for the industry. So I'd love to have you have you on. And everyone else, uh, I think you know where to find me, sin-sage.com. And you can find all my other stuff from there. I've got a link tree as well, just slash sin-sage. So you can find all my stuff. And as far as this podcast goes, we, you know, I'm having such a great time doing it. I hope that people are getting some value from it, but we definitely need your questions. That's the main thing. If you don't, if you can't think of any, maybe you can ask your friends. Maybe they have some questions they're curious about how porn works or what's going on with their sexual relationship or identity. We love talking about stuff like that. So you email those questions to sinsagepodcast at gmail.com. And that is, of course, sin with two ends, as I'm sure you know. And another thing I just realized recently would be so freaking helpful is if you like rated this podcast on like Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, can you give this one a rating? And hopefully you really love it. So you give it a super high rating so that we can keep making this podcast long into the future. And thank you so, so much for listening, everyone. Thank you, Summer, again for being on. And I hope you all get out there and live authentically. Mm -hmm.